Tonight on This Is Vinyl Tap, Shrinking Miami. Something on the radio saying, come on, come on. The pain is intoxicating if the music is loud enough. And no more fooling around. The pressure's on now. In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, Here we are again at uh, the Vinegaroon Saloon, recording another episode of This is Vinyl Tap. Uh, As you can tell, if you've listened previously, tonight, me, I, Tony Slagle, am your host for this evening's adventure and as always i'm joined by our other host doug cooper forget about it (laughs) and our very very humble and extremely talented and might i say quite breathtakingly handsome oh (laughs) i've been drinking uh jonathan jm rowe sup t and peeps You say peeps. I don't think you say I peeps. I, don't, I, don't think I think you, you, do, you get I, kicked out yeah, if you I think, say I peeps. I, I am about as not street go, as you can be. Yo, yo, so uh, if you can tell by these horrible fake Italian accents, <laughs> tonight we're going to be talking about uh, what is what I would call, I may be thrown under the bus for saying this, but the third member of the Holy Trinity of the Jersey Shore Sound, and that is Stephen Van Zant and his debut album, solo album, Men without hats. No, no, no. I'm sorry. <laughs> Men without women, which is credited to Little Stephen and the Disciples of Soul. So, we've already discussed the other two members of the Trinity I speak of, um, both during our first season. One was Bruce Springsteen, of course. We talked about him on the Wild, the Innocent, and the East Street Shuffle episode 34, and Southside Johnny when we looked at Hearts of Stone on episode 38. So we're treading some familiar ground tonight, um, as little Steven obviously shares some common history with both these guys. Quite. And so yeah. we're probably going to repeat ourselves a little bit um, from what we talked about there, but we'll try not to do it too much. But I do encourage you to go check out those episodes if you haven't already after you've listened to this one. They're good ones. So um, one of the things I want to say before we get to the big question we always ask is I, I, I had kind of a weird epiphany, and it's probably obvious, and you guys are going to be like, yeah, so. But um, little Steven, for the three of us in some way, I think is very similar to, to Nick Lowe. Okay, I can see that. He's uh, 
he's like the American version of Nick Lowe as far as the three of us are concerned, I think. And what I mean by that is Nick Lowe, who we've talked about a ton on this podcast, has a reach beyond the music he makes. Mm-hmm. Music he writes and produces and does all these things. It, it has tentacles into the music that we've talked about well beyond his own personal music. And, and I feel like I feel like little Steven is that way as well. Would you guys agree? Or? I would agree. I, I, he's done a whole lot to promote music. I don't know if there's a person in rock who has done more to promote the music that he loves and finds interesting. Um, and he will help other artists kind of find their way quite a bit. Uh, I, I think that you couldn't even, you know, talk about Southside Johnny or wouldn't be a Southside Johnny. Southside Johnny would not be anywhere near as successful without little Steven. And I think even you can make arguments that little Steven helped Springsteen out in the, in the early days with his ability to arrange horns and, and those kinds of things. This is a Doug Cooper pick, um, and uh, it's funny because he didn't pick the Springsteen album, although he would have, but he did pick the... That was your pick, right? And the Doug, the Hearts, Hearts of Stone? Hearts of Stone yeah. is 100% my pick. Yeah. So we asked the question we always ask, Doug, why did you pick this album? Yo, T. <laughs> That's the wrong question. The, the the right question is, why are we almost on episode 70 and you just now picked this out? And uh, I don't know the answer to that. But there's a couple of things I can say that will help explain why. Um, of all the, if I could have lunch with anyone that we have talked about so far, it would be little Steven. Uh, I'm in the middle of his uh, biography, uh, unrequited uh, infatuation. Unrequited. That's, that's infatuation. a newish book, is it not? It is new. Uh, it, and new means in the last five years to me. Uh, so it, the guy reminds me of me so much on, uh, in, on some levels. And I don't mean talent-wise. I mean interest-wise. Uh, and uh, he's a little bit of a mirror of me politically, but uh, I, even though I disagree with him on almost everything, I do respect his uh, commitment and his uh, strength of, of the purpose. Um, but uh, I went crazy for this album right away. And then I saw the uh, the tour for this uh, album, and th- it was the best show I have ever seen. It was basically a uh, Southside Johnny show with, with some new band members, but he had the horns. All the horns were from Southside. Miami Johnny's, horns. The Miami horns. And then uh, it was down on 6th Street in Austin, and we got on this thing, uh, some walkway that was behind the stage where we weren't supposed to be. And I can still remember him making these ugly faces at us behind him. And we were going, go, man, go, man. And he was looking at us like, what are these idiots still behind me? When security got up and told us to uh, get out from behind there. But it was absolutely the best show I have ever seen. And then I saw the Voice of America tour.
two two years later and I'm still really proud of myself because I started making faces like I was little Steven singing and I know he saw me and started <laughs> laughing and I think he missed almost a whole line of lyrics because he's <laughs> laughing at me making my little uh, Steven faces. I, I just want to comment on something you said because um <clears throat> you know I, I am new to this. Surprise, surprise, just like I was new to Southside Johnny, <clears throat> just like I was fairly new to the Springsteen album you guys picked. The whole time I'm listening to this, I kept thinking, I bet this stuff is amazing live. I bet it's just unbelievable when you're there watching it happen on mm-hmm. stage. I, I, I can't imagine that wouldn't color. Like if I, if I liked this album, like let's just say I just kind of liked it, but I saw that tour, I probably walked away with a completely different feeling about these songs um, than I did just listening to it on the vinyl. Yeah. Well, I, I I think that's right. And um, for I mean, this this is a Texas boy who's used to going to see Jerry Jeff Walker, and he goes up there, and there's all these guys in these black dusters with Hell's Angels look alike uh, print on the back of them, and it is he looks like a disciple. <laughs> he he was not playing. It was you guys need to understand rock and roll, uh, rock and roll. <laughs> for Steve Van Zandt fits in the place where religion fits for most people. And you can see that when he's up there playing. And the funny thing is he was earnest. If you look at the cover, this guy is dead serious about rock and roll and about Um, preaching what he believes in. But if you get on YouTube and you look at his new tour, mm. the guy has, it's still a great show. But he is the happy uncle okay. that's had a that's, couple. That's interesting because one of the things I think that sort of colors this album in an odd way is how serious he is about everything. It's very, I mean, it, the music is so fun and he's so he's serious, serious about is, it. But you um, watch him, you watch, there, there are a lot of there are. little Steven videos on YouTube right now. And all you got to do is type in Lil Steven and look for purple because they're all purple. <laughs> and he's got the biggest show going on. Yeah. And he's walking out there and he's going, hey, this guy over here, look at this. Hey, look at this guy over here. And he's having, so he's a having ball. fun. Yeah. See, that, that would be a show I'd want to see. He's got the most uh, amazing guitar. Is it a multicolored guitar I've ever oh, seen? And, yeah. and this, the backup singers oh, yeah. he has, I would. I would just go to watch these backup singers. They are amazing. Well, and they're having a ball, and he's having a ball. He's going, it's, hey, looky here. Look at this. That's good, that's good, that's good to hear. I, I, I hadn't watched a whole lot of m- more recent. I watched a lot of older videos. Yeah. And and Ernest mm-hmm. is maybe too light of a word. <laughs> no, he's... I mean, it's... it's it's uh, He thinks like, he's bringing gospel. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He is. And it's, uh, it's just interesting that well, somebody... It, it, is, and when I was that age, I dug that. Yeah. I, I was did. really into that. Of course, I was this, um, you know, 17-, 18-year-old idiot yeah. that thought, yeah, rock and roll. Yeah. And What's perfect is I'm in the same place he is now with his. Hey guys, we're yeah. having a great. It's a summer of solstice. Hey, look yeah. at this. Yeah, and and uh, they're both great. And it's it's really you know if he was still that way now it would be a tragedy. Right? I agree. I'm glad to hear he's not. Although yeah. no, he is he is having a ball. Yeah. 
Well, he's like an elder statesman now. When he's when finally you listen, he's got the money. He, yeah. He's got yeah. Money. He but, spent most of his life uh, <laughs> yeah. scraping by. Penury, yeah. But, but if you if you listen to him on his on his radio station, he's he's like an elder the elder statesman of rock and roll. He is. He's and not and not just a historian, but and most of the guys on that station are that way to a certain extent. But him, yeah. I really love when he tells a story oh, he's about a something. Great storyteller story yeah. and great. Uh, and he, he reads. And he's he. Types a lot of times you can tell he's reading from wherever, but it's just but well. If you voice, go on his, you go on his website. He's got essays about stuff. Yeah, and it's they're long and they're well thought out. Yeah. Um, and he's a great he's a great reader yeah. of them with his funny his accent. Funny accent. I mean, when is, he decided to play uh, Servio Dante on. Uh, uh, he came up with that name, by the way. He he basically invented the part for himself because. Uh, Bob, what's his face, uh, was the obvious choice for Tony. He was he he had the job as Tony, and then uh, well, I can't say that guy's name, but um, no. the 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 guy that ended up being Tony, and he invented um, the concierge, and then uh, he 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 just kind of came up with that role, but. <laughs> When you hear him, he's not acting when he's on that show. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and is, you know who who plays his wife in the his show? Wife. His wife. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Which uh, it was a very attractive uh, yeah. person. Yeah. I'm just saying. I, not not that I noticed things being, like yeah. that. They, but the, being, the two of them have a lot of crossover, even early on. You mean went went on the show together, maybe? Well, yeah, they were. He played a show in the in the '60s with one of his early bands, and she would. It was an Amer- a local American bandstand thing, and she danced on it. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Huh. They don't. They don't know if they crossed paths there, but they were both there. Yeah. It's it's uh, you know any of these rock and roll guys that are still with their wife, I got a lot of respect for him. Yeah. Even though he did take some detours on his way to marriage. <laughs> when MTV first came out, I was pretty enamored with it. I was just because I lived in. At the time, I was living in San Antonio, and about the only thing they would play is pop radio or heavy metal uh, stations, you know. And I just got so, I was just so turned off by both those. And MTV came out, and I was just watching, I was just fascinated by it. They were playing the police, they were playing the pretenders, they were playing Gary U.S. Bonds, they were playing. Uh, Blondie, David Anybody Bowie. who had a film, they would slap on. Yeah, they really would. <laughs> but one of the first videos I remember was... Uh, forever. Forever. <laughs> and seeing uh, the the guy who's now the... Who, who was the bass player on this uh, with his uh, mohawk and just going... That but just listening the, to the it. Banana seat back. Yeah, banana seat back. Yeah, the chopper <laughs> handles and he's riding it down the street and I just go... I was just enamored with it. And here, here's this guy. It looks like a... a a total English punk rocker, and then these horns come in on that song, and I'm just, this is incredible. And then I think, Doug, you had the album, and I, and I just fell in love with it. I just remember that just putting it on, and those those first three songs, I was just, these are the greatest things. I, and I had getting into arguments with my friend Cade, like what were the best, which was the best side. And I would say, well, the first three songs on side one are the best. And Cade would go, no, the last four songs on side two are the best. And we would. <laughs> that's funny. Well, that's probably the time. Uh, there's, uh, 
such a unique relationship with this album. I, I was so goo-goo about this album that JM and I worked at this camp, and I was completely carried away with this album. And I was the uh, counselor for the oldest boys at the camp. And you couldn't get those guys to do anything because there's two to one girls at this camp yeah. and they're all gorgeous. And the counselor also had trouble concentrating <laughs> on what they were supposed to be. So I came up Some with of the this thing. Are, are attractive too. Uh, yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't picture any of that now, but um, <laughs> back in the day, anyway, we came up with this thing called the men without women activity. All of us would put on bandanas on our head and none of us were allowed to talk to girls and we'd go do something without the girls. And for one time, you know, all of us were able to concentrate on what we were doing. Um, at first, it wasn't that popular. But when the guys found out how women went, these girls went crazy because <laughs> they weren't talking to them and they figured out that dynamic, they fell in love with it. So yeah. about Two or three nights, we'd wear the bandanas to the to dinner, and we wouldn't talk to girls, and they would all try to get us. It's kind of like and the you'd deal sit with, by yourselves, with the guys at the beef yeah. the beef eaters uh, at yeah. the uh, uh, in England, the guard, yeah. the palace guard, yeah. where they won't. You know, everybody can't help but mess with them because they're trying to get them to crack up or talk <laughs> or something. It was just like that, and. Uh, Jamie and, and I were just talking. His boy, who's like seventeen, he's eighteen now. But yeah. he he was he went to the same camp that I went to. Uh, what was it? Th almost thirty years later, um, and they're still was, doing it. Yeah, he was the oldest. <laughs> they're still he doing was, the men. They're still doing the men without women. And little Steven's album is. I don't yeah. know they have anything to play an album on at that <laughs> camp anymore. But I mean, if vinyl. Uh, they have that album on the mantle in the oldest boy's cabin. Yep. And they're still doing all of those things. Oh, cool. It is cool. So and it's my, got a, it's got a, I'm going to give you this, the, the picture of us back in the eighties when I guess it was probably 83 when we were all dressed up like Steve Van's aunt with yeah. their bandanas on our heads with the, we didn't have a car wreck. We, and my we brother did it. Yeah. And uh, I, I, Doug and I are too close in age to, for me to have been in his cabin, but, um, <clears throat> The, to continue with my the story of my son, I picked my son up from camp that year. The minute we got on Highway 83 and we could get satellite radio, my son said, uh, hey, Alexa, play Men Without Women. And sure enough, and he, that's funny. So just like, my and, our, and our dear friend Beaver Nelson has uh, covered that, covered that uh, song. tune a number of times. Yeah. yeah. Well, I work all day and all night, too And I just can't see enough of you But the things men without women do Well, you just don't understand Doug and I have a long history with You guys have a history of this. Have a, well, so have my, a, my guess is it's it's difficult for you guys to be Totally objective. Objective. <laughs> zero. Zero. So I've got to be the voice of reason tonight. You will be the objective. Well, do we want to talk a little bit about? I mean, I think we we need to talk some of the history of Steve, little Stephen. But yeah. um, But I don't. I don't want to. I, I mean, there are there are some things that are that we've covered previously. So I want to try well, to avoid that as much as possible. We don't need to get into too much. Yeah, this I, would be. We could go all night on our connections. But I, maybe I, we should talk about. Well, let's some. do let's do the connections real quick. Okay. 
and ladies and gentlemen, little Steven is connected to everybody. So um, <laughs> we do need to be we do need to judicious, be judicious, yeah, uh, with what we got. You guys got one? I, I got one. The first song that he gets credit for co-producing was for Springsteen was "Hungry Heart," which was the song Springsteen had written for the Ramones. We talked about it either on the yeah, Springsteen episode yeah. or the Ramones episode. I can't in fact, remember. I learned but, that on this podcast. Yeah, very so, useful podcast. So yeah, uh, so that was the very first song he got co-producer that, credit yeah. for, and he he goes in deeply on that one in uh, in his book and mentions something that I'm ashamed of myself for not noticing. But the chorus and the verse are the same on that song. <laughs> and he does some modulation to uh, make them stand out. And yeah. I re-listened to it. It was pretty clever what oh, he did. Oh, that's funny. I'll have to go back and listen to it. I didn't notice that. I've, I've never been fond of that song. but um, Well, it's hard to think of it as I, I, I can't imagine the Ramones doing it. I, I, mean, it, it I, I mean, it's hard to imagine Springsteen doing it. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. You know, one of the things he did do on that song was speed it up. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's not the boss's voice, the way you... Yeah. It, it sounds... Uh, more like a happy Billy Joel than <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah, uh, JM, do you have a connection for us? Uh, meatloaf? All right, tell us about the meatloaf connection. Well, there are members of the they weren't so this album has uh several artists on it, and um, part of the part of it was recorded with the east members of the East Street Band and the drummer Max Weinberg is actually the drummer on Meatloaf's Bat Out of Hell. And he plays most of the drums on this album. Well, there's another connection with Meatloaf as well. What's That's that? Right. Well, um, the uh, the meeting that uh, they had with the label, was it uh, Steve Popovich or whatever? Yep. Um, was set up uh, through Little Steve, and he got them their meeting with right? Meatloaf yeah. and... Uh, he got wow. he, he was on Epic and uh, yeah, this uh, Cleveland right. uh, I can't remember yeah name, they, Cleveland something stu- Cleveland International, International Records right. that's right he yeah. he pushed them into uh, taking the meatloaf deal yep that's and that's right. I mean if someone forces you to take uh, one of the top selling albums of <clears throat> history uh, you you owe them a favor I think oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And another connection with uh, Meatloaf, after Meatloaf and Jim Stammen had their falling out, uh, he was asked to come up with some music for Meatloaf. Uh, like so many things, little Stephen went overboard and wrote a whole uh, <laughs> album for him, uh, which, which, uh, but based on Quasimodo, or what's his name? Uh, uh, Quasimodo. Quasimodo. Because he, um, for some reason, that Meatloaf was not flattered by that, and he did not <laughs> choose. <laughs> he did not choose you to know, participate. I, there's a running thread through Little Steven's story, which is the guy is a bit obsessive. <laughs> no, he, um, you got to be to get all the things done that he did. Speaking of, you know, he had that great. Uh, he has a connection with um, uh, our friend uh, Peter Gabriel. Uh, that makes me sound like Peter Gabriel knows who the hell I am. I didn't mean to imply that. Uh, we're fans of his, and uh, 
Peter Gabriel got all on this um, South Africa kick with the Biko deal, and that really got under little Stephen's skin. And, of course, he did the the big giant um, Sun City deal and actually traveled there and made that a huge uh yeah. Cause that well, he, he was pretty. He testified in front of Congress and all sorts of stuff. That brings another connection up, which is Paul Simon. Yeah, yep. because Paul Graceland. Simon was essentially blacklisted for his involvement for the Graceland album, and a lot of that had to do with that that uh, group. Uh, what is it? The, the Artists United Against, against Apartheid, Apartheid that, yep. that Little Stephen had founded Apartheid. in 1985. And Lil, Lil Stephen blacklisted a lot of uh, artists and then unblacklisted them yep. later. Yeah, uh, but in his book, he. He's not too happy about the fact that uh, Paul Simon got a picture with Mandela, and he did. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if you're go- uh, to be fair, if you're going to say we're not having anything to do with South Africa, or you're going to say I'm going to go over there and employ and give these musicians a job and give get them some international recognition, yeah. which one is really beneficial? I mean, they they both have I their merits, but right. you know, the main the main thing little Stephen was working on is. They had this idea that these artists weren't playing in South Africa. They were playing in these townships. They're completely independent countries. And Little Stevens' uh, mission was to say, no, wrong. We don't don't buy that. And yeah. uh, he shut his his efforts did shut down Sun City yep. and it began the uh, boy a lot of boycotts. Uh, he he was a he was a go getter and yep. a bulldog. Basically, you can throw a dart and hit someone in rock and roll, and he has a connection with him. Yeah. He's everywhere. That's and, that's uh, why, I, I mean, maybe more so than Nick Lowe, but that's why I pointed because how many times have we like, what, Nick Lowe yeah. was involved yeah. in this? Yeah. I mean, even even last week's episode with Tom Petty, Nick Lowe yeah. is yeah. involved. Yeah. You know, no, that's so. a really accurate comparison. It is. The two never got super superstar status, but they're everywhere. Um, I, we didn't talk about why uh, we're experts on this album. I don't know if y'all know that. I don't know. I that. don't know that. Well, other than the fact that he played uh, on Sixth Street, and then he played at another place called Club Foot years or no Cardi's. It was Cardi's. It was oh, out wow. here around us where yeah. we are right now. I have no idea where that place was. Please call in and tell us. But he produced an album by a band called the Archangels. Oh. That's Charlie Sexton, and um, uh, Doyle Bramall Jr. They just got back together and did yeah, a show they did. recently, they did. and Mark apparently St- Little Stephen and Doyle did not get along one yeah. bit. That's uh, interesting. He yeah. uses some of the language that HBO can use that other networks can't use to describe <laughs> him. Um, and uh, Charlie Sexton's uh, he he described Charlie Sexton as a, a, a phenomenal guitar player, which. Everybody describes Charlie Sexton. Yeah, he's a nice guy. I've met him a couple of times. So, yeah, let's go at a little bit of the history of uh, Miami Steve. So, you made me want to hear a little bit about, you know, uh, where I came from. I love what he described. He's like his, the first, you know, like a lot of people we've talked about, although we haven't mentioned this in a while, 
the thing that really got him going is what he, I love this term, he calls the big bang, big bang of rock and roll, yeah. which was the Beatles playing on Ed Sullivan. Yeah. He, um, uh, it's, he's so dismissive of Elvis yeah. that it's it's really interesting. Um, and and if you listen to him talk about his radio station, Little Stevens Underground Garage, the the center point is the uh, the invasion, the British the invasion, British invasion. Yeah. and there, it extends from there to whoever influenced the British invasion and whoever the British invasion. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what's really fascinating to me about that is there's a point. I don't know if it's in his book because I've I've read parts of his book or if I saw an interview, but he I, I thought about UJM because he talks about the British invasion and he at one point he says that the British invasion. He didn't say it killed rock and roll, but it said it had overtaken all of the stuff previously, all the stuff that he loved, all yeah. the doo wop fifties doo wop yeah, and the sixties soul stuff. All, yeah. all of that stuff went by the wayside because it was all British invasion all the time. Yeah, and and I thought about your your goofy concept about the Beatles killing rock and roll and thinking, <laughs> okay, well, there's some merit to that in the sense that if it over, it's like when grunge overtook everything, right. sort of, there was yeah, no, I think that's it sucked good, all the oxygen out of yeah, the room, right? Yeah. It's not that there's um, bad grunge, that every grunge band is bad, but, yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's like everybody tried to copy and I'm not a big fan of Nirvana, but everybody tried to copy Nirvana or Pearl jam or Pearl jam. And uh, I would, take Pearl Jam over Nirvana. See, I do the opposite. Yeah. Anyway. I'm so uh, ignorant of the whole grunge deal. I can't even hate them. <laughs> but, uh, but I, I do, I did find that fascinating because it's a, it's a valid point I'd never thought about because I've lived through that in my own life with other musical genres taking yeah. the, uh, taking the oxygen out of the room. And that's what the British invasion did. Everybody wanted to be like that. Right. So, uh, there, you know, there's, there's something about him that is, a kind of our polar opposite. He's he loves singles. Um, uh, well, little Steven he does love singles. Is a he loves a strong single, and I'm not suggesting he doesn't like uh, albums because he goes on and on about Sergeant Pepper and how it changed albums forever and all of that, and he appreciates that an album uh, is bigger than the sum of its parts. But I don't think there's anyone who loves a good, strong single better than he does. And, and you can tell from his show, he's, well, he's got the, the yeah. greatest song in the world. Greatest yeah. song in the world. And he does compilations of those every year. There's yep. like yeah. a 15-song compilation of the greatest songs fantastic. in the world. They're great. Yeah. yeah, I mean, well, and there's something to be said about when he came of age. I mean, uh, you know, yeah, the Beatles changed albums. And what we've talked about is there's a certain point where right. albums really stopped being a collection of singles with filler and became something else. But that's not what he was listening to growing up. Yeah. Um, no. Really. Yeah. And he, he, and he <clears throat> makes a point of that switch from AM to uh, FM, FM where, yeah. where, uh, he, well, you know, he talks about Led Zeppelin wouldn't even uh, release singles. Right. Yeah. Just because they're so hell bent. Well, neither, neither did Pink Floyd. So. Yeah. So that says, I mean, that's how he kind of, that was the soup that he was, yeah. he was in. And, and it's, and it's obvious. Um, he takes like points from everything. It's yeah. like this big soup. Well, that's, mm. we've talked about songwriting styles before. Well, we talked about uh, uh, Mark Knopfler. How he's an observational songwriter. Yeah, we have Jackson Brown. He's a confessional songwriter. Um, little Stephen is a jump in somebody else's skin and write a song. He he says, "I'm going to pretend that I'm Little Richard when I write this song." And um, well, 
but you're talking musically because his lyrics are personal. That's right. But um, but the style, the musical well, style, and it's it's uh, how he gets off the ground. Sometimes he's writing lyrics for somebody else. Right. Uh, right. Right. Like right. Uh, in on uh, on his final Southside album, there's a, a song written about Southside's father that was uh, coming from the uh, point of view of Southside. But it's it's the first time we've encountered this method of songwriting where he pretends he's somebody else while he's writing the song. Yeah. And I think that's, if you look at his catalog of songs he's written for other people, it's I think it's as big as his own catalog. Yeah. Yeah. And I think part of the reason for that is he finds it easier to write songs for other people than for himself. I think that's probably true. I think that's probably true. And some of the songs he's written sound like they belong in that uh, that sixties classic. Really does. Um, yeah, those classic tunes from the sixties, where it'd be a girl band or the uh, or Temptations or, or Four the, Tops or something. Well, or this album has that stacks, stuff in even. spades, yeah, you know. Obviously, um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And you you can tell when he was listening, he was absorbing all of it, and yeah. it's about to come flying back out on this record. Yeah. So talking like this just came out a few days ago. What is what year was eighty two? Anybody can do math. And what's like that? you know what's incredible? What's incredible? Yeah, it's uh, 40? No, forty. Yeah, forty years ago. Forty years ago. What's incredible about that? And we'll get to it more when we talk about the album. Is that there's really out of all of the music on that album, there's really one song that sounds like it came out in nineteen eighty two. The rest of it sounds could be you could just throw a dart at a decade, you know. Yeah. Um, particularly the '60s, early '70s, but um, maybe late '50s. Um, anyway, so he sees this what he calls the big band of rock or big bang of rock and roll, and shortly after that, he starts his own band, like a whole lot of other people did. What What is his line in that book? It's wonderful. Uh, uh, he's talking about the Ed Sullivan show the night before. There was maybe three bands in. In uh, New Jersey, the next night, every garage had a band. <laughs> that's right, and, 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 and there's some truth to that. Yeah, um, but so and uh, that's the other thing. He is he loves bands. He does, um, and that's something he talks about when he's doing this album. He says there's two types of musicians: there's solo guys and there's yep. band guys. And I just happen to be a, making a solo album, but I'm a band guy. And yeah. he couldn't do it without assembling all these guys around him because that's where his comfort level is. Yeah, yeah one like of his. One of his knockdown dragouts with the um, Hall of Fame was uh, on, on on Patty Smith. They he wanted it to be the Patty Smith band, and they just did Patty Smith. Yeah, yeah. and he was you don't understand it's the band <laughs> Lenny K. Well, he's right. Yeah. I mean, no, that, of course he's right. You know? He would have just been a poet if it yep. had been yeah. for the band. Um, so his first his first band was the Whirlwinds. This was formed very shortly after the Beatles sang. It didn't last a whole long long time, but in 65, he gets his first real band of note called The Mates. And as he puts it, as just to show how influenced they were by the British invasion, they called themselves The Mates. <laughs> and he's the singer on it. And the, the, the funny thing about that band was one of the other guys in the band, his dad was a silk screener. And so he silk screened the drum head. And he said, doing just doing that immediately set them above every other band that was playing because they had this cool <laughs> drum head. Um and the first song he sang live with that band was Like a Rolling Stone really? uh, by Dylan. Yeah. How does it feel? How does it feel? To be without a home. Like 
makes that like the beginning of rock and roll, uh, in, in, which doesn't make sense given all the stuff he is listening to right. before that. But um, that's a seminal uh, song it is. for him. It is a seminal yeah. song for him. Then he ends up getting invited to join a band called The Shadows by this guy named Buddy Norris. Um, and they're managed, they're managed by the drummer's mom. The drummer's name is Robert McAvely. And she was known as Big Mama McEvely. <laughs> she'll she'll come up later on as we're talking about the album. Um, but they actually were. We talked about this earlier. They were on this show, this American Bandstand knockoff show called Disco Teen uh, in '66 or '67. That's before disco stood for uh, yeah for bad music. <laughs> And uh, it was hosted by this guy named John Zacherly. I think he just went by Zacherly. And he was this horror guy, this horror movie host. But he also was a rock and roll enthusiast. So he did the show. And he was given the nickname by Dick Clark of the Cool Ghoul. So <laughs> Lil Steven's band, The Shadows, plays on that. That's and, back when local TV could do things like this. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, they, had their, they all had their own little kid show. They had their own yep. little rock and roll yep. show. Yep. We and uh, Project Captain Terror and Cartoon Hour, yeah. and his and his his wife danced on it. And the the other thing is they they won a uh, they won in 19, August of '66. They won a battle of the bands in Asbury Park. They won a hundred bucks, which is equivalent to just over a thousand dollars today, um, because they got first place. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, that was the Shadows, and that's when while he's with the Shadows was when he meets Springsteen for the first time. Yeah. Springsteen is a band called. With the Castile, is that what they're yep, called? Yeah, Castile. Um, and uh, and so that's when they first meet, and then the Shadows end up morphing into a band called the Source. Um, and and another stolen name. He did. He said he stole that. <laughs> name. He said his favorite band at the time was this DC local DC area band called the Source, and he liked them so much he thought he'd steal their name, so he called himself <laughs> called them the Source. So the Castiles break up, and Springsteen begins to play regularly in this little club in Asbury Park called the Upstage, which we've talked about on the Southside Johnny episode. It yeah. was this alcohol-free venue. It was open late. All the teenagers would come and hang out, and they'd all the local musicians, and they play. And uh, that's where little Steven, uh, Springsteen, and Southside Johnny got to know each other musically, at least. Mm-hmm. And um, Gary Talent. And yeah, all those guys. Uh, Mad yeah. Dog Lopez. Um, and then Springsteen starts a band in 69 called Child. Um, which is named, which there was another band named Child. The, the, so oh. Springsteen, a guy named Vinnie Roslin was on bass, and Danny Federici's on organ. Yeah. Um, because the other band's named Child, they changed their name to Steel Mill. Steel Mill. And Springsteen asks, shortly after that, asked little Steven to join Steel Mill after that. Play so bass, he, right? So he does. Yeah. 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 So little so, Steven's uh, with little Steven swallows his pride and <laughs> plays bass for Springsteen. Um, it's funny. It's really cool hearing him talk about Springsteen because he says it's the first time he ever saw somebody who was having live hits. Like they weren't radio hits, but people knew the songs, yeah, the songs because they were yeah. so good that these songs became huge. <clears throat> people knew them live. You know, they they sang along with them and stuff. Yeah, um, I think one of the ways little Steven. Uh, begin to understand himself was by figuring out how he is different than Springsteen. And uh, yeah, he's one much- of the things he says is he never had the confidence Springsteen had, and he never had that it's this or nothing else. Um, there's yeah. no story about Springsteen returning to legit work ever. Well, and, and yeah, and he did construction work for a while, Steven right? Did, yeah, yeah, little Stephen did. I I think you're you're right about that. I think he's much more comfortable being a 
behind yeah. behind like a well, guide yeah. next to the he guy. He does. You know? I mean, he does he, all the arrangements. You can't read a paragraph and, about him yeah. without him saying he wants to be concierge or number two, right? Yeah, and he's yeah. comfortable in that role. But right. I don't. I yeah don't think he is. Really, I think he has a little bit. Everybody says Van Zant, best known as guitarist for uh, uh, the E Street Band. He was hardly ever a guitarist. For yeah, the he really band. was. He was only on his what six, five years, six years. Uh, he, I don't, I he mean, didn't make his. He, he didn't make his debut as an E Street Band member until Darkness, Darkness, Darkness on yeah. the Edge of Town, and so he played on Darkness. He played he on the River. To leave all the salt time, and then and the then River's he, his baby. The River, right. yeah, and, and you can tell he's yeah. he's the one that fixed the drums when when I hear. I was so happy to hear someone confirm. When I hear the uh, the river, I think the drums steal this album. Mm-hmm. This is a drum album, and then listening to uh, this this book of his, he talks about how yeah. he finally figured out how to get the drum sound he he wanted, and yeah. he's real contemptuous of the uh, <clears throat> sound from darkness. You, you know, it's all muffled and everything. Yeah. Well, uh, that's interesting because I'm going to want to talk about the drums later when we talk about this album. But he, uh, the yeah, album we're talking but about. Today. Those are the only two albums that he's really on, even though he's credited. Well, on, he was he played he was in the band though live. He for was longer yeah than from seventy five. He went on the the seventy five to eighty two, right? Yeah, yeah. He he eighty two when and before I guess. Well, it was a, the River last, Tour was the eight, ended in eighty one, and I think yeah, his last, last show was the last show of the River Tour. That wasn't yeah. intentional, but it ended up being that way. Yeah, and he's barely, even though he's credited, he's not on Born in the USA well, very much. He, he wrote a bunch or helped write a bunch of stuff or arrange a bunch of stuff. Arrange a bunch of stuff. It's, well, if you ask him, uh, his greatest pride comes more than writing. Uh, he's arranging. He's arranging. Well, he's good at it. Yeah, he I mean, he played. He, he arranged the horns on Tenth Avenue Freeze Out, yeah. which they're great, fantastic. Um, and yeah. apparently, they weren't until he got. There. Well, I believe it. <laughs> I, I believe it too. too. Well, I mean, yeah. You you listen. All you gotta do is listen to three Southside Johnny albums, and you go, okay. Yeah. Well, and he then, knows, and he knows what he's doing with the strings too. Well, and there's yeah. really it's really interesting. There's the if you see the there's a DVD that accompanies the uh, uh, Darkness uh, box set that came uh-huh. out, and he they actually show Springsteen and Van Zant working out arrangements, and Van Zant sitting there on the he actually playing a piano and trying to like helping Springsteen arrange these songs, and he just has something in his head, it, it, and he's not. He's not a very good number two guy. Said, "Oh yeah, uh, Bruce, maybe you ought to try." To. I mean, he's very dogmatic about that. And uh, of course, uh, they've had several falling outs. Well, okay, I'll, I'll I'll put a caveat on his comfort. But he thing. loves to say that he likes being the number it, two. He's guy. got an ego, obviously, and that shines through. Like we were talking about well, it with the book, because as you said. It's amazing that he hasn't claimed credit for telling Neil Neil Armstrong what to say when he walked on the moon because he does he takes the credit for a lot of stuff. Um, oh, he's like he's down in uh, Nicaragua. He's uh, telling uh, what's his face or- Ortega's wife. You know, tell your husband not to wear the fatigues like Fidel Castro. Tell him to put on the three piece suit and go talk to the UN. 
Bada bing. There yeah. he is at the UN with the three-piece suit, just like I said. <laughs> Maybe it's all true, but um, yeah. it's... It's pretty it's funny. Specious, it's though. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, sort of Forrest Gump, except it is. for Forrest Gump telling a story instead of a third party. Yeah. So, um, anyway, back, just going back briefly to the history. So, Steel Mill uh, ends up breaking up, and... Uh, and then this band called Dr. Zoom and the Sonic Boom, Boom. is born. Yeah. <laughs> and we talked about them for at the Southside thing. That sounds like a ball. And they're sitting there trying to play well, they, while they're jamming. Yeah. And they're not they're not together for very long because it was really Springsteen's holding place between Steel Mill and the Bruce Springsteen band. But it's uh It sounds like a, a fun one. And he said and, and evidently I didn't know this one, but they were formed because Someone wanted Springs wanted Steel Mill to open for the Almond Brothers, and the Steel Mill had broken up. And the guy said, "I don't care what you get. I want Springsteen. I don't care how you get him." So they got Springsteen, and Little Steven got a bunch of their friends from the Upstage together, wow. and they formed this Doctor Doctor Zoom and the Sonic Boom. <laughs> um, and they and the and the funny thing that Little Steven says about it, he says, uh, "So uh, yeah, they we knew the Almond Brothers had two drummers and two lead guitarists, so we I'm one upped them and also added two keyboard players and two sax players as well. <laughs> so there are a lot of people on stage, including yeah. some people playing Monopoly." That was a thing people did well, on they, stage. Yeah, they got yeah. to play a Monopoly game. During, and and uh, <laughs> Lil Steven did work into uh, his book that Dwayne Allman said he was a real good slide player, which yeah. I didn't know Lil Steven played. Slide. Well, and, <laughs> and, 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 and this gets a little muddy, but around the same time, the Sundance Blues Band also starts playing. And that's Southside Johnny and Lil Steven and, and Vinny Lopez and Gary Talent um, and John Hagstrom. Springsteen plays with them a little bit as well. And and they're they're a going concern until around seventy two, and then the Bruce Springsteen band starts up, and Little Steven's involved with that as well, you know, as well as some of the other people we're talking about. Uh, and then he ends up playing. This is kind of interesting. He ends up playing with Southside Johnny in an acoustic blues duo called Southside Johnny and the Kid, and they're playing, you know, yeah. uh, Elmore James songs and. Uh, David Sanctious would occasionally sit in on piano. Gary Talent occasionally would sit in as well. But they're like this acoustic blues duo, which is an interesting thing. Yeah. Um, I think it's also around that time, as you mentioned, Doug, he sort of starts to get some real work and does construction a bit. Um, <laughs> Southside was being the mailman. He was yeah, and then go legit. And then he ends up touring with the Dovells, um, which was a 60s doo-wop band. He tours with them in 63. That was one of the most interesting things for me is this tour and then the Vegas uh, the Vegas period where he's doing this. Uh, yeah, he loved being there because he's a big brat, a Rat Pack fan. Yeah, and he he uh, he also thought he was a big gambler, and then he got to <laughs> Vegas and found out he wasn't. <laughs> he, uh, they don't call it gambling for but nothing. But I, I didn't know that part of his history about him it's kind of like his Hamburg uh, yeah. time where he's just playing uh, a pretty brutal uh, yeah. uh, schedule full, full of shows. And um, I, I guess that caused me to have a little more respect for him as a musician, just to know that he was... He paid his dues. Yeah, well, well yeah. That, I mean, I don't care how how good you are when you get into that uh, deal. By the time you leave, you got to really be... On yeah. top of your game. Well, it's it's at this time he gets the Miami Steve name because the Devels tour ends in Miami, and when he comes back up to Jersey, he's oh, yeah. sporting, sporting Hawaiian, Hawaiian shirts. Hawaiian and, shirts. Yeah, I don't know why I ever he, came back. And he doesn't like the weather, and so yeah. 
You know, oddly enough, Springsteen, who likes to give everybody a nickname, (laughs) gives him the name Miami Steve. And supposedly that's where the Miami Horns name comes from, too. That's right. Yeah. Um, So Sugar, he's got Sugar's uh, Strings that's named after him. I don't know how he got Sugar. Yeah. So so then uh, in 74, Southside Johnny joins a band called the Blackberry Booze Band. He brings in a bunch. He starts in there. I think this is when he's in Richmond, which we talk about in the in the uh, yeah. Springsteen deal. In yeah. the uh, yeah, Springsteen or Southside Johnny. They're in Richmond. And Southside Johnny starts bringing in all his New Jersey friends, including Steve Van Zandt. And he adds a horn section. And that band ends up becoming Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes. Yeah. Um, and that's... That's a little bit of a misnomer. Um, uh, in a lot of ways, that's Lil Steven's band. Yeah. He's yeah. writing a majority of the songs, and he is certainly well, he, arranging everything. He writes, 74, he writes, I Don't Want to Go Home, which is like, isn't that their big yeah, signature? That's their, that's their signature, signature. That's the one they always, if they're going to do yeah. one tune, that's the one if, they'll if do. They're, yeah, if they're Springsteen, Southside, and Little Steven together, they're going to. And even Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi, yeah. Jovi sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, so that's kind of how that, and I agree with you, Doug. It's a uh, uh, little Steven is as much. I mean, uh, uh, Southside Johnny Asbury Juice is as much little Steven's band as it is. Yeah, it's it's. Um, we've talked it's about more. this already. Uh, um, it's it's uh, meat. It's uh, Southside without Little Steven's like meatloaf without Jim Stone. Well, yeah. and and I and I will say uh, this without hopefully you guys throwing me under the bus or throwing me out of the room. That um, it's apparent to me that, uh, that well, this is stating the obvious. Southside voice, Southside's voice is so much significantly better than Little Stephen's voice. Well, it's not yeah. even funny. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, um, but so, I, I would go further than that and say Southside has one of the most appealing voices uh, of. of in rock, anyone, yeah. Um, I've heard I've heard critics come from England that bumped into his voice, just go on and on, because it's like nothing they have. Yeah, we um, we've talked about this already, so I don't want to get into this. That he he helps Springsteen out with the Born to Run sessions, does Tenth Avenue Freeze Out. Um, actually, one of the things we didn't mention is Springsteen says he's responsible for the signature guitar line in Born to Run, and he call, and he says this about it. he said that's arguably Steve's greatest contribute. Contribution, contribution to Springsteen's music is is the guitar line huh. born to run. What was that? Um, three notes? <laughs> no, no, no. It's got that glockenspiel going at the um, same time. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, and then yeah, and then he officially joins the band in '75. Yeah, uh, and then we talked about the rest. He write, writes a bunch of stuff for uh, Southside Johnny. He does Hearts of Stone, which we talked about as well. Yeah, yeah he does three um, albums with Southside. Yeah, one the first is, three. I don't want to go home. This time's for real, and. Uh, Hearts of Stone, yeah, all of them are fantastic. In yeah. in 1980, he produces a comeback album for Gary U.S. Bonds called Dedication, and um, which is another fantastic album. We're not going to be able to go very long before I drag that one. In. <laughs> and the East Street <laughs> bands, <laughs> the East Street yeah, bands on that album, most of yeah. them, yeah. yeah. And he he um, that's actually after uh, Hungry Heart. This little girl's a top ten hit, which yeah. He's just blown away by how much a top ten hit can change your life. <laughs> well, what happens is yeah. the labels come a knocking. Yeah, and EMI says, you know, based I mean, based on the strength of his work with Springsteen, Southside Johnny, and of course his Gary U.S. Bonds album, 
they asked him to do a solo project. And he says that it's something he'd been thinking about for a while, but if he'd never been asked, he probably would have never done it. Now, I don't know yeah. if I believe that or not, but that's what he says. Um, and so while Springsteen's working on Nebraska, little Steven starts working on the album we're talking about tonight, yeah. Men Without Women. Little Steven says that uh, he tells Springsteen that Nebraska is not, is not a demo, but a final product. Yeah. Well, you know what? If that's true, if he said that to Springsteen, we all also owe him a debt for that as well. <laughs> well, we do. Um, yeah, that's a fan. I mean, I love the way that album. It, it, he was right. He was right. Last night I dreamed that I was a child Out where the pines grow Wild and tall I want to read the Springsteen side where Springsteen confirms that. <laughs> In fact, there's a lot of books I need to read to find out if we get confirmation. Well, um, we also just, just we didn't talk about it, but little Steven up until this point is known as Miami Steve. We talked about how he got that name, but he just changes his name to do the solo album because he didn't want he wanted to get rid of the comparisons yeah. with, with his past with Springsteen. And he also wanted to pay homage to, to little Richard and to bluesman little Walker. Yeah. So he changes his name. You know, a lot of little, little yeah. Steven Van Zant. blind and little. And pretty. it's funny because, you know, I'm younger than you guys. I've only known the guy as little Steven. I never knew him as Miami Steve. Mm -hmm. Um, so I guess that brings us up to the album we're talking about tonight. Yeah. Men without women. Talk about the players, Jam. Well, we got uh, members of the E Street Band. Uh, I mentioned earlier, we've got Max Weinberg on drums. He plays almost all of the drums on this album. I think there's three or four album or three or four songs. That two, there's did. two songs that have uh, uh, Dan, Dino, Dino Danelli on, who it. actually worked with Springsteen later on some of his all uh, the drums. Yeah. Well, Dino Danelli is from. The Rascals. The Young yeah. Rascals, which was a huge influence on all those Jersey Shore guys. Huge. And that, and that was yeah. uh, Little Steven's um, hobby horse for a while, yeah. was getting them into the Hall of Fame. Yep. Um, that was a big project of his. So a uh, guy playing most of the bass also is Gary Talent from the E Street Band. Besides Dan Federici, the only E Street Band member who's been there from the beginning. Uh, and Clarence Clemens. I forgot about Clarence Clemens, but um, and Dan, but Dan Federici is plays the accordion, amazing accordion parts on this, and does a lot of the organ as well. Clarence Clemens, who is also an E Street Band member, um, <laughs> he does not play the saxophone. He does not play the saxophone. He does backing he vocals sings. on this. Yeah, <laughs> and well, there's another famous background. Scene. Yeah, there's no, another background. He's on what three songs? Three songs. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Which but he's used not to drive me crazy because he, he, JM's trying to say without me interrupting, he's not credited. He's not, he's not but credited. You can tell. You can tell. I mean, it's so he's obvious. Like he's trying to sell like Springsteen. Yeah, it's so, so obvious. Um, but he couldn't do it because of contractual agreements. stuff. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, there's uh, and then the guy from the Plasmatics. Yeah. So you got uh, Jean Jean Beauvoir, who's uh, plays bass and uh, he does a lot of the backing vocals. He, he Played for the Plasmatics. He's played with a lot. Do you know of what he he was also Gary U.S. Bond's musical director 
when he was 14 years my old. My gosh. The guy plays everything, by the yeah. way, even though he's playing bass And on he's this. got a monster he's mohawk. He's got a monster mohawk, yeah, and he still has it to this yeah, day. he does. Yeah, and then I we got to mention La Bamba's Mambo Men, who we've talked <laughs> about before. Fantastic horn section. Just it's done, uh, is, is any on one of these uh, late night smart ass? Uh, yeah, he's he, he was. I don't know if he is anymore. He was. I don't. I don't think uh, Conan doesn't have a music music anymore. Yeah, right? I, don't, I don't think that he does because he's only on like fifteen minutes or something. But yeah, he used to be on the uh, Max Weinberg. Uh, what were they called? The Max Weinberg Seven, I think. Yeah, yeah and he that's was. That's what I'd do if I had a show like that. And yeah. La Bamba was one of the. Yeah, and then uh, we we uh, one of my recommendations was South Grapefruit South Moon. Moon. Yeah, Grapefruit Moon. Moon with the La Bamba Orchestra. Yep, <laughs> fantastic arranger, fantastic trombone player. Uh, just it, his his band is is remarkable. There's a lot more musicians on here. I mean, we could spend all night talking about everybody. Right. There's a it's thing. it's a pretty big set of musicians. Yeah, right? those well, are the big. What's cool is how they recorded this live in one day, and then they came back the second day and did it again. And, and my favorite thing about that story is when Little Steven says that he then spent the rest of the time trying to spend the record company's money. <laughs> so he added a couple of acoustic guitars. Yeah. He, he, he messed with the vocals. He did. He put a solo or two in there. Yeah. Uh, he added slide on, on the Princess of Little Italy. He put mm-hmm. mandolin on it. So he was just trying to blow the budget. But yeah, they recorded the thing in one day and then I, came I back and did it love- again. Let's get everybody in a semicircle. Yeah, yeah. We're going to hang a bunch of mics off of the Yeah, stage. and he says that yeah. the horns are blowing into the drums and everything's <laughs> rattling and yeah. it's just crazy, you know? Yeah. And you can tell. Um, yeah, everything uh, bleeds and it's, I love it. I love, it I sounds love it. so good when the, it plays uh, like that. And I, and it's funny. He's, he calls this band his band that he's going to have. He calls them the Disciples of Soul, and he's and he calls them that. This is going back to the serious thing we we're talking about, is because they had their adherence to his his rules, Little Stevens' rules, which is no drugs, no alcohol, no lasting diversions, and his rock and roll philosophy that rock and roll is a motivation, not entertainment. So it's like this this <laughs> philosophy. They are and so disciples. And dis- when they take the stage, they look like. Um, <laughs> We're not here to know what, what what you think you're here to play. This ain't play. <laughs> and and he says he's what he was trying to do was get back a, a like take the the sound he was doing with the Asbury Jukes, but go back even further. Like he wanted it to essentially be '60s rock and or uh, rhythm and blues based rock and roll with a high, with a horn section, but le- rootsier, grittier, yeah, much less produced. Yep. Um, yeah. You know, and, and what's so funny about it is he keeps thinking of himself as Dean Martin, <laughs> Bruce Springsteen's uh, Sinatra, and I'm going, whoa, whoa, whoa! Yeah, he is anything but Dean Martin when he becomes <laughs> the boss. Um, yeah, it it reminds me of me when I was a pro- program director. I was, hey, let's party, let's have a good time, and then I became a camp director, and I said, that's against the rules. Someone's going to drown. Take that kid to well, the nurse. This album is about. Great rock and roll and soul music that he wants to be a part of. Yeah. And his ability to actually pull it off and write songs that sound like they're from another time. Yeah. It's so pure and raw, even though it is meticulously arranged. And Well, uh, the reason it sounds that way is while it was recorded one day live, uh, Max Weinberg says they rehearsed like nuts. I mean, they just rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed. So when they went in and pulled the switch, (laughs) Um, the name of the 
album is as we've talked about men with men without women and it's it's named after a an Ernest Hemingway collection of short stories which I guess were I, I I'm not a big fan of Hemingway but there's short stories about bullfighters and soldiers and everything and what yeah. Lidl Steven says about that is if it had, if that if that short story had been written in the 60s or the 70s there would have been a a short story about rock and roll right and yeah. rock and roll bands so that's why he used it he felt like it it was it Smart. it fit I mentioned the drums. Um, this, you must be happy about this because this album's nothing but pocket. <laughs> yeah, straight in the pocket. But but I will say this: I I feel I I know you said he found found drums. Where when I was listening to this the first time, it was distracting to me how high up in the mix they are. The drums are very much in your face they throughout this entire pain. album. Now, the more I listened to it, the less that became yeah. a, an issue. But there are moments when they're distracting to me. Hmm. Um, his voice also took me a little bit of getting used to. Um, I kept hearing this thinking, I wish somebody else was singing some of these songs. Thankfully, there's a version of this out there with, <laughs> with Southside Johnny singing you all of them. So what, what I would do is, if I had trouble with something, I'd go listen to the Southside Johnny version, and then I'd go back and listen to the little Steven version, it didn't bother me anymore. Yeah, it, was like, it, was like, it was like a cure. I, it would be, I would love to do something to my brain where I could... That Southside version is live. Yeah. And I would love to hear Southside's version without ever having heard this before, Yeah, uh, which is impossible. No. But I, right. I would be interested in hearing so, that. I just want to ask you a question. And I know we talked about this, about whether or not you could be objective about this, because this album means a lot to you guys. But, Doug, you've said in the past several times with several albums on certain songs, this song deserves a bigger voice. And I think there's songs on this album. Now, look, I hate saying anything because I love Little Steven. The guy is, yeah. but I think there are songs on this album that deserve a bigger voice. His voice, just and we'll get to them. But it's just, it's. Uh, I, I want. There may not be anybody who's listened like me who's listening to this for the first time. But if there are, give it a chance. You got to give it a chance. Um, it's not obvious that Little Steven should be a singer in a band. I'll, I will go true. right there immediately. Um, the the thing that uh, I think rescues this a little bit, at least for me, is the nature of the songs. The These songs are about someone struggling and reaching out and trying to rise above. And I think his voice lends you, to that. You, you a think it bit. works for that? Go ahead. Southside does them. And it's not even Southside's best voice. No, it's his, his, vo his voice is His, his, his is voice not, is roughened yeah. up. If, yeah. this, if this had come out right after um, Hearts of Stone, Hearts of Stone, I think that it would be held even in higher. Hearts of Stone is a highly regarded album. This, would I think, would be held even higher than that album had it come out. But there's, there's something about this album that's not a Southside album. And it's like songs like Lying in a Bed of Fire and Save Me. Yeah. You can't throw mm -hmm. a bunch of babies in there. And uh, Right. No, I, I, Southside's just not earnest enough. Right. I, well, that's, that's the thing I was going to get at. There's, the, again, the seriousness of, of what he's singing about. Often, to me, going back to something else you talk about a lot, is like the, 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 the seriousness of this does, the music's such a blast. Mm -hmm. It's so fun. It and is. then you get to the lyrics, you're like, hmm. All right, so we'll get, let's get to the album, uh, as I'm being told by our humble producer. Uh, we got a little less humble there from me. <laughs> uh, so we'll talk about the first song, first side, Lion in a Bed of Fire. Lion in a 
love the way this song starts off. I love this song so. This is so a this much. is a perfect song to start this oh, album. It is perfect. We always say that, but, but it's it, true. It, no, it, this, the, this the guitar is, and the horns work so well together on yeah. this. Um, he knew it, what he was doing. Yeah, yeah it and is. This does not sound like a song that came out in the sixties. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. And it's got his guitar is just so wailing and so. Uh, I mean, the way it even ends. Like, well, it's one of the fir- only songs with a solo on it too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's it, he's a reluctant uh, soloer. Well, he's not the best guitar player in the world. He does have a style though. He does have this kind of. He can grab a solo. He can. Um, but he, played, he can also. Uh, really foul some stuff. Up. He can foul so this, some stuff we up. We did that on Hearts of Stone. And th- yeah. this is this is where he gets into his philosophy again. We'll talk about this a little bit because a lot of this may be hindsight. Him re- reflecting on things, but he said that he had to start his first song in his five album set with this song because of the theme, right? Which is all about you know essentially the '60s generation and why it failed. <laughs> Still got that. bad taste in my mouth i I hear none of that in this song i I just hear this guy uh, it's it's this earnest 21 year old that yeah looking around and things aren't the way they should be yeah well but i'm still fighting he's got the perfect description of it he says this is an orthodox rock and roll song it's a rock song with horns (laughs) that's what he says about it oh the horns are just amazing the way that they come in there's there's no horns like like on here in Southside, it's almost to... like weird strings that come in with it. How Van Morrison uses strings, you know. It's it... got the it's got the two guys from the um from the Rascals on this song yeah. playing. Um, it's a wall of sound tune, also. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it, this was not a single, but it reached number thirty on the Hot Mainstream Rock Track charts. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't anybody but me heard this yeah. album. <laughs> I yeah. never heard it before. I heard the album. So, but it's a fantastic song, fantastic opener. It's I love good. the way that the guitar uh, that comes to crashing. Yeah, it comes to that crashing halt. With, <laughs> yeah, well, that's a. And I, a, I even love it more now that I know that it was recorded live. Yeah. It's a blast. It is an absolute blast. Mm. And it's and yeah, um, it's good for your workout tape. <laughs> well, I was I was thinking, there's certain albums that lend themselves pace wise to a good run. Yeah. This is one of those albums. It is. It this is. is for a long time been one of my workouts. Oh, I ran to this so much this week. It was so much fun. All right. Number two, Inside of Me. So this is uh, his take on the four tops or the temptations. Yeah, there's there's something I'm gonna say about this song that I don't know that I would have said ten years ago that occurred to me, but um, I need to I need to temper this. But uh, this song does get a little plotting, where it's uh, like someone wearing big heavy wet shoes just going thump thump thump, and I've never noticed that until this listening. You're talking about the drums? I'm not just talking the, just the beat. About the, just the beat. All about it. It well, it's the longest especially, song on the album. Well, especially coming after Lying in a Bed of Fire, which yeah. is like an avalanche. Yeah. This thing starts <laughs> sounding like the bump, the bump, the bump. I just but I love the way that it, that cacophony of guitars come in and then all of a sudden you just got that bump. Well, and boom, then the boom, horns boom. are here being Yeah, crazy. and then the horns are fantastic. This, uh, you know, this song was in the Sopranos. I don't remember seeing it in The Sopranos. I just remember reading it. 
And this has uh, Max Weinberg and Gary Talent. Yeah, I can tell. That's I, a... I, I'll tell you something else about this album, and this may mean that I'm just categorizing all things Yankee. This is the album version of Rocky to me. Hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know Rocky's uh, he loses, but um, he loses at the end. Well, I think this guy's done some losing too. Yeah. Uh, I Philadelphia <laughs> and New Jersey are about four feet away from each other, but um, that they, they I, I get the so same funny. I get the same feeling from Rocky and this album. We're gonna move to a fantastic song uh, yeah. until the good is gone. Maybe my favorite. This song, song is great. Can someone can someone finish this sentence for me? If you don't like this song, you're a bad person. A Let me person. tell you something. The way the way this song eases you into that yep. really nice groove at oh, the beginning. And that, those it's, drums. Oh, it's so great. Um, yeah, those and, horns and, come in right after that. This is a guy that knows what the hell he's doing. <laughs> the and horns this, come in on that two. Yeah, that's the thing that's really cool. They don't, they don't come in on the one. They come in on the two. And and this is a song that mentions Big Mama again, who yeah, is, this, was his manager, first, uh, his first manager. Um, and this is this is kind of you know we're talking about early on about all these guys hanging out at the uptown and whatever that's what this is about and the, well and talking about how serious little Steve is this is. one of the ones with the bosses in the back going yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. yes yeah yes yeah. this is yeah. um he's gonna reconcile with uh, Southside and put an album out later called uh, Better Days and he's gonna have a song on there called. Uh, it's been a long time. It's been a long time since. Anyway, this is the prequel to that song. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's the same theme about um, the the Asbury Park days. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Springsteen's on this song, and and it's obvious, even though he's not credited. When he talks about this song, you can really tell how serious he is about stuff. He says this song, he goes, radio was a call to arms. So it's not it's not about going out and getting chicks or whatever. It's no. about you're changing the world with your music. Yeah, this I mean, is all about this, making people stand up and listen. This you know? borders on a meatloaf song, how earnest it is. You know? and, and <laughs> but this is what, but, this but is the what difference, they were shooting. When you're my age. Here's what I'll say, what you, I'll say the difference between yeah. meatloaf and this is. And that, and the next song proves it. These songs do not have a sense of humor about them no, at all. No, no, at no, no. all. No, no, no. This is and, the guy. And if you see him, I, that's why I wish that somebody would produce uh, Little Steven 1983 live versus Little Steven with the big uh, purple Happy World. Yeah, with his 48 piece band. Yeah, um, it is so different. In those guys in those black—I mean, who goes out in black trench coat? <laughs> and uh, it, I mean, Austin, Texas. I mean, it wasn't thinking about raining, and it was ninety degrees outside, and they all got these <laughs> coats on. But but that—I mean—that's the—that's the to me the big difference about his earnestness. I mean, Meatloaf, as we talked about, under the surface is this tongue firmly well, planted in. Oh cheap, yeah, yeah. They could know? do um, the trench coats in Bad Out of Hell. Yeah. But 
you'd be a fool if you took it seriously. Right. Yeah. Right. This yeah. stuff is, man. But these are disciples. Going back to it, this song is so great. It is. It's it's uh, <laughs> you know the fact that we're talking to a whole bunch of people that don't even know about this song. Tells you everything you need to know about how screwed up. I didn't know about any of this stuff. Well, don't see? try and stop me till the good is gone. Yeah. I mean, get, what this is, is what is religion. that sentiment? Yeah. Right? No, it, you're absolutely right. You're right. This is a guy singing gospel about. Right. This is yeah. This is gospel music, yep. and yeah. the gospel is rock and roll. Yep. And then he's singing all that. Yeah, yeah. you know, Springsteen's back feeling the same thing. You and, know, obviously. Yeah. Well, no, it's a, mean, it's, a, it's it's a fantastic yeah. song. I mean, I, I can't I, help I, but think Springsteen's sitting there going. I'm supposed to be this big shot. Why didn't I come up with this? <laughs> and you know, even today at you know, I'm 55 years old. I I would if I were in the studio singing and I had Springsteen's voice, I'd be belting it out as best I could now because it just yeah. it well, carries me so far. And, and, think, and I know what he's talking about. I right. felt that right. Well, and to, to go back religion. to what you said, I know he doesn't think this way because it was such a, such a monster hit. But when we talked about Born in the USA, you know, that's what essentially comes after this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, this <laughs> so, is being, this came out, I think, at about the same time Nebraska came out. It did. Yeah. It did. And so Springsteen then goes, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Springsteen goes right. acoustic. So, um, so <laughs> the next song, song number four, is the title track, Men Without Women. I'll just say it up front. This is my least favorite song on this album. I'm going to say it's not my favorite song on the album, but I just have such, I I, I, I just have the the nostalgia for this song is so, so strong that every time I hear it, doesn't matter where, who's doing it. I'm still just taken away. Here's the thing I'll say about it. Going back to your plotting comment. I think it's plotting and I hate, again, I feel bad about saying anything bad about little Steven because I respect the guy so much. I think his vocals are distracting. Um, they sound strained, and to me, not in a good way. Well, uh, I, I will like say, it. I will say, I, something you said earlier. They're very nasal. Something yeah. you said earlier about the the character of this album may make me rethink that a little bit. I need to listen to it again. But also, the, this is this song is should be a bit funny, and it's not. It's not. It's presented very humorlessly. Um, cause it's about, it's about what guys do and how this woman doesn't understand yeah. what this is exactly what you're talking about in the camp. Right. Yeah. And it should be done with a little levity to it. I and I think he even um, says it's, a, it's done with levity and it's not. There is, this is the levity free, uh, album. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that picture right there, <laughs> by the way, when I saw the cover of this album, I said this in front of Kevin Four, and I, it ought to be recorded so that everybody could talk about how right I am about everything. <laughs> but I said, this guy ought to play a gangster. He looks just like a gangster. He would be such a good gangster. <laughs> and bada bing, what happens? Yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, there's yeah. Spring scenes on That's this. Spring scenes on this one too. Album yeah, cover is. ever. I will say the one shining moment for me on this song is the organ. The organ's great, and the I, organ's great. But it's also got Who's the most. Who's playing the organ? I think it's uh, 
Dan, De- uh, Dan Federici. I think so. I do yeah. too, because I love it. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's really, I really good. His, yeah. Um, I'm going to make my organ speech again if y'all aren't careful. <laughs> I like the the thing. I love how it begins. Just, I worked out. And the, the guitars are coming at it at the same time. And it, you can tell this is the a live version. You, you can tell this is done live. And uh, it has that A A B B rhyme scheme that yeah, drives me crazy. That's true, but it's also. But then I love the break in it. Yep, it, it has a good guitar look. It does have a good guitar look in it. I'm and, I'm a, a little bit like Tony in that this is one of my least favorite songs on the album, but that means very little <laughs> how much I love this album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, but I I know exactly. I know I I felt the same way about this song that. This was a song where I was going, oh, uh, but that has changed. Especially, I remember it not this is being my least favorite. Especially song if it's going to be the title track, you know. Yeah. Well, it's got to have a, it should have a little bit more. I mean, you want I don't know. Right. Think about the last album we did and the title track off Southern Accents. Case in point. <laughs> <laughs> Until the good is gone, would have been a better. Yeah. Well, that would have summed up the album. Speaking of which, the next song, Under the Gun, was originally going to be the title of it. I, this is my least favorite song on the album. It's, See, what, it's my second least favorite this is song. A, this sounds like something I would listen to, this song. <laughs> this song sounds exactly like and something I, I, I would listen to. I don't dislike this song. I don't like song, I dislike it I either. I used to hate the oboe in it, and now I love well, it. Well, it's played through a fuzz fuzz yeah. tone and a phaser. <laughs> yeah. I didn't get that. But, I, um, this, um, I like this song, but it seems the least necessary to me. Huh. And... Um, I love how it just seems like it doesn't get started well, until uh, the until the well, that, it does have a hard time getting started. Yeah, but, and then it, it, but then I'm it like does. you, uh, I didn't like that at first, and now I like it a lot. That's funny that it's 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 not my favorite song, but it definitely sounds like something. If you played it for me, like oh yeah, I would like it immediately because I did. Yeah. What's odd about that is that Little Steven says that he tuned his guitar. Um, like Keith Richards to give it a Stonesy feel. Oh, so really? why is what is that? That open D. What is that? D? It's a, no. He does an open. It's a it's a G with the E string taken off. So the top uh, string is a G. I mean, yeah. It's not just this. Oh, look at me. It's, it's like yeah. that's the way he plays. That's how he plays about half the song. I mean, tumble and die. Yes. All those hit. Anyway, he was trying to give it a Stonesy. He was trying to give it a Stonesy feel, which is funny that I like it so much. But um, this is also the other there's song. Nothing, the other, the, there's the, nothing Stonesy yeah, about that in my mind. <laughs> and this is um, this is also the only other song that uh, Dino Danelli plays drums on. Huh. I didn't know that. That's yeah. good. He does a good job. All right, so we're now flipping the album over, playing song song one on side two, Save Me. this song quite oh, a bit likes song. are these are these simu- they're simulated hand claps those aren't real hand claps right they don't sound like real hand claps i think, I hand think claps. they are hand claps i think i remember him saying he had 
10 people in there and they doubled them and then he wanted to have even more people clap and then this is where he made one is one of the things i love about little steven is how much he hates digital everything <laughs> uh, he spent a good bit of time talking about um how he hates digital everything and even he, recording digital recording uh i mean he wants to record everything analog i can understand oh, yeah. like hitting hating digital synthesizers no, he hates digital um, wow recording and he has um i've got to look up the engineer that he got and the deal with the engineer is he loves to way clear mountain yeah clear mountain that's exactly that's the guy who's worked with uh springsteen forever yeah well he's he's he got him into springsteen and he got he, he he brought him in to clear up the drums after darkness and he got him to clear up those drums on uh the river which i can't stop talking about mm. and uh, he's a big fan of that and uh he says, yeah, but Bob, he could get the drum sound I needed right away. Then they went digital, and then it would take Bob two or three days to get it. <laughs> but he he's, he has so much regard for Clear Mountain. You, hey, can I just brief aside about yeah. Bob Clear Mountain? Most guys that do mixing and engineering, they try to isolate the tracks, mm -hmm. and they will try to get each track just perfect. He's one of the few mixers. He says he never listens. He never isolates a track. He just listens to the whole track and he just mixes from the, well, from the that, whole track. Well, you sounded exactly like Will Steven talking about him because that's he. Yeah, I, I'm, he spent more time praising him than the boss. <laughs> well, he's amazing. It, this this to me is the most straightforward rock and roll song on the album. Yeah. Save yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it, it's when he's talking about writing this, he says that he's using a songwriting technique that he used for the first time when he wrote this time's it's for real in oh, 76 yeah? for Southside. And yeah. And it's what he does is he, he kind of talks about what's on his mind, but he does it in, in a way where he's having a conversation with a girl. So it has a, well, that's obvious on this song, right? But it's, it's got a little undercurrent of some romance to it, but he found, he finds that it's this kind of lyrical conversation way of writing really, really works. And he utilized it on this well, song. And his voice works on this a lot when he goes, it does the tune changes. Yeah. Uh, and he goes, he's singing right to the girl and he has a, his weaker voice, I think works on that part. Yeah. All right. Don't this also one of the few songs with a guitar solo on it. Mm -hmm. But again, it's straightforward rock and roll. It makes sense. All right. Next up. Next song on side two, Princess of Little Italy. Princess of Little Italy. Princess of Little Italy. Yes, she's the princess of So, I love. Okay, the, I, I I run hot and cold on this song. I wish it were a little shorter. Um, I love 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 the accordion on it. I love the oboe on it. The cor the accordion and the mandolin are great. Yeah, I love his voice on it. See, I don't. You don't. Oh, I no. love his voice. I don't. It sounds so Italian. Well, the the thing is, it's to, it's the songs from the point of view of this old grandpa watching his granddaughter, and right. she's run a little reckless so i guess it works if he's trying to sing like a grandpa um, i think that's what he's trying to well, do okay then i, I missed the point of <laughs> I that i think he's have you ever been to little italy <laughs> yeah jm practically lived we in lived little a little italy. Italy. when we were in new york yeah. 
Before, uh, the, the funny thing is, is the this this guy. My favorite line in the song is when he says, "I hear you have a good new boyfriend. Never mind how I know, because he's got people watching her. <laughs> I think it's awesome. He's like, he's got these guys keeping an eye." I think eye that's on one her. of the things I love about that. Like that. That I, the more I listen to it, the more I started picking out the lyrics. I, the and song's it, really interesting. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting song. Maybe the most interesting song in the album yeah. in terms of the way it sounds. I, I just predicted this would be your favorite. So me? I'm losing, um, I'm losing confidence in my Tony ability. <laughs> well, I, I like the song. It's just his. Again, I I need to go back and listen to it with what you said, Doug. Because I, I uh, somebody who's just I kept thinking. Lacking, I just kept yeah. thinking these songs needed somebody else singing. And when I go back and listen to the Southside Johnny versions, I'm like, okay, that's <laughs> that makes sense to me now. Princess. Princes of Little Italy and Men Without Women seem like they were recorded at the same time. Yeah, maybe. I mean, his voice is is very similar. Yeah. It's that kind of. It's very. I don't want to say weak, but it's fragile. Maybe. Yeah, it's fragile. Well, it you sounds, know? and it sounds so appropriate for uh, my stereotypes of everything New Yorky. <laughs> Well, anyway, I apologize for it not being my favorite song. <laughs> That's all right. I, I just got to keep me guessing. But. Next, we're back on track, boys. Oh. oh. <laughs> Angel Eyes is the next track. This song great, and great until song. the good is gone are just like I I I wanted the to hear those songs on this over and, and it, over, over and over that again. Fender Road to a bump 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 and that that's the drums. You know who's getting... you know whose favorite song this is? La Bombas. Well, he makes a contribution. He does. He does. Yeah, and Springsteen's yeah. on this song as well. I don't know if maybe that's something that why maybe it, Springsteen's voice with Little Stevens is it, what elevates the songs to me. But uh, this song is fantastic. It's, this it's, is a song that is, stuck with me the most out of any song on this album. This this is a song where I think Springsteen's singing louder than Little Stevens. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I've noticed that on this. this I, it's yeah. it's impossible. <laughs> Somebody needs to put Springsteen <laughs> on the couch and explain why haven't you covered this song? It is so obviously a Springsteen mm-hmm. cover tune. He could make this into something monstrous. I yeah. I don't know why. It's uh, maybe if the guy didn't write fifty great songs every day, he would have room for it. But yeah. it, it's this a, is it's a such, wonderful. It's song. such a great song. It's a it's a, you, got you can me, hear. Baby, uh, I'm hypnotized. And this is about his wife. Oh, oh yeah, it's about Maureen. And yeah, a lot of these he says are about. Uh, but. It sounds like Smokey Robbins. That's oh yeah, Tears of the Clown. It, yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. This yeah, is yeah. where his Smokey comes. Well, out. this yeah. song and the next song, I think, both sound very Smokey Ro- Smoky Robinson. You got that Smokey. Uh, 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 uh. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't thought about that, but you're absolutely you're you can't right on. Help but think about it. I mean, it's just. Well, I didn't think about it, I but I I can't it. help it now. <laughs> you're gonna think about it now. And I I don't mean to to say that. You take Smokey out, there's nothing left. But there's no question that little Steven has some uh, admiration for him. Oh, yeah. I Who love doesn't? Angel Eyes. It's a great song. It's so beautiful. Just I don't so know that I've fun. ever been able just to hear that one once without hitting 
Yeah. Uh, it's it that like I said, that one until the good is gone. Both of them I want to just hit repeat as soon as they're over with yeah. and listen to them again. Okay, moving on to the hit single on the album, Forever. Number nine. That's where they always put the single. Number nine, forever. This, this is, is yeah. This so was, this this song sounds very 1982 to me. Oh yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. It doesn't sound it that sounds, way at all uh, to me. It sounds like uh, another Smoky tune. It does yeah. sound like Smoky Robinson, but it's got that whatever that little chimey thing is in the middle and throughout the song sounds very early 80s. Bling, bling, bling. Um, what, what is that? Is it, what's that? I don't know. I thought it was it's something like that, and I thought it was uh, copying uh, the '60s. Uh, I don't know. It just feel it feels. It, I could see what I, I could see how you would picked. say this is the most 1982 song on the on the. Maybe album. that's what I mean. Instead yeah. of it sounds like yeah. 1982, well, and it's kind of got you know maybe a little bit the arrangements. And it's everything, uh, but, but I just this was. I could not get over this song. I love the way it's making those little noises, and then those yeah. horns just. They're like uh, a band, a, a dam broke, and they yeah. come. You know, right? Out. You know, this song's mixed in mono. I could tell. I can tell that's mixed in mono. That's a, that's a very Phil Spector thing to do. And it's his and it's his favorite mix on the album because of that. Hmm. But which kind of goes with his whole analog thing too, or analog yeah. and do it in mono. Yeah. Um, that was. Very, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, it's one of the most horrible uh, videos ever created. Well, <laughs> let me tell you something. I'm gonna post him doing it on the on this Norwegian or Dutch show. I've seen that. And when you see that, it's even worse. Really? No, I mean, there's a all <laughs> the videos. It's even him, worse. All the videos from him at this time are from Europe, and they're all horrible. Yeah. yeah. And they're scary looking Night of the Living Dead audience members. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's so different than when this, I saw uh, him on Sixth yeah. Street. It was this song was. Uh, Peaked at number sixty three and spent nine weeks on the Billboard Hot one hundred. Well, it, really, yeah. I could just see. I mean, I just I was I probably, so. In, this was what in, I was. Well, in, it probably helped with all. The, well, as you said, yeah. all the airplay was getting on MTV because yeah. this was in heavy, heavy, heavy rotation. Oh, I could. MTV. I just. I could not take my eyes off it when it came. I know it's a terrible video, but I just but loved the music. Yeah, then. they were pretty well. Whenever they tried to produce and yeah. You're, all you're right, right, so <laughs> finishing up the album, the last song inside two. I've been waiting. Oh, and suddenly I realize I've been waiting such a long time. I've been waiting such a long time. I've been waiting such a long time. Waiting here for you. So this was originally written for the Hearts of Stones album. Yep. This is a great closer. You know what I want to say? Fantastic closer. Contrary to what you said earlier, Doug, about Angel Eyes, this, to me, and I'm not quite the scholar you are, feels the most Springsteenian to me of any song on the album. Oh, I think it is. Okay. But I just think, um, I don't think Angel Eyes sounds Springsteenian. I just think he should sing it. Ah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. 
But this song sounds like a Springsteen song to me. Um, but just the, the like gr- the grandiose. Oh, the grandiose. You know? yeah. It's very grandiose, yeah. like a Springsteen song would be. I work hard so I can say nobody owns me. Yeah, that sounds that, very. That does sound very Springsteen. Yeah, yeah but no, he, it sounds like one of the ones, one of his throwaways he'd give to Southside. I don't know. To me, I love this song, but to me, it sounds like he's chewing gum <laughs> when he's singing this song. You know, it's like yeah, I work hard so say nobody owns me. Yeah. But I love the horns it's on the it. The obvious ender. Yeah. It is the it, absolutely yeah. out of all these songs is a perfect song to end the album. Good, good closer. The the what what makes me want to just break out in tears is all the albums that came after this. Are nothing <laughs> like it. No. I mean, there's some good songs on that. Yeah. The albums that but he came discover after synthesizers and. Well, it's. I mean, this is. This seems like, and I haven't listened to a whole lot of that stuff, but this seems like close. The closest to what he was doing. You know, with Southside South and yeah, um, early spring, and, and that stuff is, you know, we I've talked I talked on that episode how much that album blew me away. Yeah, uh, I, you know, not quite the same feeling about this album as I did about Hearts of Stone, which knocked me on my rear end. Yeah, but uh, I get it, you know, and and that you know. So well, that, I heard this album before I heard Hearts of Stone. There's something about this album that I just put ahead of Hearts of Stone. Well, that may have been the same way I had I listened yeah. to it that way, but and Doug threw me a loop and put gave me Hearts of Stone, an album I was pretty sure. I, I will say this about this podcast: I have I realized how wrong I was about horns and rock and roll. Yeah. Before before I, I mean, if you had told me before we started doing this if I would be talking positively about horns and rock and roll music, I would have said no way. And you guys. You guys have made me see the light. Well, it made me realize how much I like horns and rock and roll. I do too, yeah. and I was surprised by that. It's, it's two things I learned: is I love horns and rock and roll, and that I'm all about guitar music. Yeah, yeah. And this yeah. isn't an example, but yeah, yeah. Well, this is the first album I think where I just heard horns and rock and roll too with such earnestness behind it. Like there was something about this whole album that spoke to me that maybe Smokey Robinson didn't maybe, you know, because that's, it was 20 years before I was really listening to music seriously. Um, But the horns on this just drug me into this album so much where I just went, well, there's other stuff out there. there, I think the difference, at least to me is this, I mean, Smokey Robinson, while great, it it doesn't have the same Pack, like pound. The, right. This music, you take he's, the horns away, his voice which is, is not so sweet. The, and, you take the horns away from this stuff, which is not to say is a good idea. But yeah. if you do that underneath it, this is rock and yeah, roll. You yeah, could, you could yeah. fill it out with uh, some some uh, rhythm guitar, lead guitar, and, and what uh, this and what the and, horns uh, do on this stuff is they elevate the yeah, music. Really it's not do. just it's just not filling out the sound. They bring they elevate this they music make it to church. another yeah, yeah to another level. You're right. Um, they take you. They take this, uh, and that's the, to the secular rock and roll. Yeah. That's what I felt about when, when I heard Hearts of Stone. I was yeah. like, "Holy cow! Yeah. This elevates this music so much." Yeah. Um, plus, it just makes it sound so damn fun. When I say this is the best concert I ever saw, yeah, you got six guys in a line, and it wasn't just <laughs> the noise they were making. They were in those trench coats, dancing and, and stuff, doing. Yeah choreographed yeah. moves and I, they're not doing hey this is fun they're doing 
this is our religion. <laughs> We're serious as can be. And when they're about to play, I would still remember the trombone player. Maybe it was Labama, but he's got that trombone, and he doesn't just put it up to his lips to play it. He does this big elaborate loop, a double loop, and then bam, he hits it. And you're right there with him. Yeah. And uh, unbelievable. Well, I, I just, best concert I've so, ever seen. That guys wraps up the album. Um, oh, let's listen to it. <laughs> I think there's I think there's a couple of things we need to talk about. The first thing I'd like to talk about before we wrap up is just briefly dive a little bit deeper into the July second, two thousand eleven performance of Southside Johnny and the Asbury Dukes playing this at the Stone Pony. Bombas on it. A couple of, I mean, a lot of the guys who played on on this album are playing that with him, and uh, you know, he they asked him why he decided to do it, and he said uh, that um, he someone gave him a copy at, at the time. He hadn't listened to the album in a while, and he put it on. And he's like, "Holy cow, this is great!" With a capital "great," <laughs> and uh, and he's like. I want to put my vocals on. I got to do something with this. And he just thinks the album's so powerful. But he also says it's so much fun to play, which I get it. Outside of the seriousness, oh, if you're a musician, I would think this would be the well, I mean, there's most chord, there's, fun to play. Yeah, there's there, the, the chord changes are pretty straight, but then there's modulations on it that just, you know, they would be so much fun to, Boy, to play. If you're Southside, you get to be the first one to have fun singing it. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. There's something that came up in that biography that I guess the two of them had fallen apart. They had some conflict after uh, Hearts of Stone where... Steve Van Zandt feels like he was not given some money he was due, maybe for managing the whole thing. And hmm. anyway, so the thing I noticed is when he married uh, his wife, that you know Springsteen and the the E Street Band, but no Southside Johnny in the wedding party. I huh. guess he oh. wasn't invited to the wedding. Wow. wow! So there's some kind of falling out that he doesn't go into very much. Later, they put that album out. Uh, yeah. That we'll have to do someday. Um, I don't uh, want to better go days. Yeah. Um, that came out later, which is just and then they a did fantastic the, album. And then on Springsteen's podcast, didn't they all get? together well, and that one that was just about uh, two years ago yeah, think, yeah. which it, is fantastic in, re in reading that book though doug it seems like little steven was always sort of itching to break away from south he was get well and what, what's what's funny about that book is springsteen's got this an album contract with columbia records right and he's broke as can be and right. south side doesn't have anything but he's playing at the stone pony right. he and resurrects breaking, breaking it according in. to little steven he resurrects the stone pony they put a new roof on it, and he's, I, he's getting paid uh, the door for three nights. Well, he week. was uh, he. I, I believe that because when we talked about that album, he was the crowds were enormous going yeah. to see him. Oh, can you imagine what that show was like? No, I I can't. Um, the only bad thing about living in Texas is Southside never comes down there. <laughs> but I cannot imagine seeing those guys. Uh, and yeah. having three nights a week, you could just drive down to yeah. the Stone Pony. I've right. only been to the Stone Pony once. And, and Southside wasn't there. No, but there was some kid that got it and was doing the same thing. Huh. And it was 
spectacular. So to wrap up the little Steven, our 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 brief little Steven story here, <laughs> uh, he uh, I say brief tongue in cheek. So um, while he's finishing up this record, Springsteen he he actually starts working with Springsteen on I. What I read was eight of the 12 songs that would end up on Born in the USA, they work yeah. out together. For most of 82 and 83, Springsteen's not doing much, which leaves little Steven to go out and tour this record. Um, and uh, he comes in, he only misses a handful of sessions working on stuff. And he, and his thought was, so long as there's not a conflict touring rise, he's fine, he'll be with it. But it wasn't meant to be. In spring of 1984, they officially announced that Steven little Steven out. was not going to be part of the E Street Band anymore. Yeah. Um, in 85, he he starts that Artists Against Apartheid apartheid movement. Um, we talked about that and what that meant. They released that Sun City song. Th- the big thing that Little Steven, at least for all of us outside of the music, that all, the three of us really dig is his involvement in his, his syndicated show and his radio stations. So the Underground Ground Garage, which is... The one of the single best, if not the single best radio station on the planet. It's <laughs> so, um, it's, so it's, good. It's not. Um, it's it's a, a horrible distraction. Uh, you cannot <laughs> listen to it while you're at work. No. Nope. And you write down the name of every song well, I and keep every taking band. Pictures you, so, of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so you, you want it's it's. I got to know the name of that he, band. Right. And then the next name. So there are bands that I love to this day. Some of my favorite bands, the Shazam, Mooney Suzuki, the Gripweeds, the Maharajas, which mm-hmm. I recommended, the Woggles. Uh, those bands I all heard for the first time on that station. And I love it. And you're right, because you're driving, you're like, oh, my God, what's this song? Yeah. And you want to write down who that is, because it's great. I remember before before Satellite was a thing, I used to listen to a syndicate. You could listen to it. It was on Sunday nights here, but you could also listen to it online. I was listening to it at work. And there's all the, these songs keep coming on and I couldn't work because I would stop yeah. and say, who is this? And I'd right. write it down. Anyway, so he does that great station. And then the, probably the second greatest station on Sirius XM is the, is the Outlaw Country Station, which is also his baby. He also yeah. facilitates that thing. And, and, and the great thing about them is not only the music, but the disc jockeys on there have, have, yeah. have skin in the game. Yeah. They not and only, they know so much. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's every, unbelievable. This, this show would shut down. We would be down to one <laughs> listener. There'd be one of our moms listening if if people knew about well, disc jockeys that know so yeah. much yeah. about rock. Shooter Jennings is one of the disc jockeys, and I was listening to coming back from a gig one night, and I Shooter Jen. It was Shooter Jennings' show, and I turned on Outlaw Country, and all of a sudden I'm hearing twenty one twelve. He was playing. He was playing twenty one twelve on Outlaw Country. He goes, he goes. I had to do that for my girlfriend because she just heard that album. She absolutely loves it. That's funny. <laughs> That's funny. Of course, he, uh, that station brought uh, the loon in the afternoon to a greater audience. Yeah. Old Mojo Nixon. Yeah. Um, but anyway, no, his so station is. Both of those stations are fantastic, but the Underground Garage station is seriously for anybody who lo- loves music. That is. It's a treasure trove of just yeah. amazing. I I want to say that maybe 05 percent of the songs they play on that, and most of them are probably Rolling Stones songs. I, say, I don't yeah. like. Yeah, the rest of them, I'm like, holy cow, this is just fantastic. I mean, yeah, and you'll hear new stuff, you know, and then you'll hear Martha and the Vandellas. Well, and and and, and, like and, and a deep cut. And we Martha haven't and we we yeah. we haven't shied away from the fact that some of us struggle with 
female singers from si- time to time. But like they'll no, play the cocktail. Don't put that on me. I said some of us. <laughs> yeah, they'll play you. They'll play the cocktail slippers, which is yeah, an uh, amazing band. Great, you know. And so there's, there's every amazing band you haven't heard. It's going to be on that. Yeah. And and you're going to waste your day writing down on your little notebook all these fantastic... I remember at Christmas time, they're playing <laughs> these Christmas songs. Yeah. I, I'm taking a snapshot. I'm at the gym trying to work out, and I'm taking pictures <laughs> of every single song well, go, they going play because they're so good. Going back to that, his love of singles, that is a that is a pop music thing. We've talked about it before, doing a Christmas single. That is like the height of and, and pop And you know music. what he said about... He said when he was doing the song for um, yeah Home Alone, um, he goes, "You you write a song and uh, you're just competing with yourself. You write a Christmas song, you're competing with uh, Jingle Beep Bells." That's funny. And, That's funny. But uh, and it's, the best part is when he starts telling you it the is story. it yeah. is great it is. i mean all the disc jockeys on there are great but yeah, when he sits fans. down yeah. when he settles in for a tail yeah it's great and yeah. and then uh chase whatever his name is that david chase for, uh david chase the guy that when he was inducting the the rascals into the uh, rock and roll Hall of fame, fame yeah he saw little steven up there and he said this guy he needs <laughs> he needs to be in, in my show the sopranos and shoots adriana uh, yeah. He, uh, of, of course, he ended up being uh, what's it, Silvio, Silvio. Dante, which Silvio. is a character he made up a long time ago. He gave himself his own name, mm-hmm. and then he ends up in another show, Lily uh, Hammer, Lily Hammer, which, he which helped uh, write and produce. Didn't yeah, he's a, he's a Renaissance guy. That's the Definitely. show he he wanted. The he goes, you know, you need to have a nightclub, and uh, the guy says that's too expensive. We'll just do a strip bar instead. <laughs> so when he got to Lilyhammer, he got to have his nightclub, <laughs> and uh, even got up and sang a couple of tunes, uh, living out his Dean Martin thing. Finally, that's funny. Yeah. What he played, he was uh, Frank Dagaliniano. I can't say Dagaliano. <laughs> Dagaliano. Okay. Um, well, I guess this is the point in the evening when we talk about rating the album. Doug, this is your pick, so we will go to you last. Jam, I would like you to rate this album. We okay. do two ratings. One is you know, your rating based on your enjoyment and yeah. whether you listen to it again, and the other one is absent that, just kind of looking at it critically and what mm-hmm. you think of it. Uh, I'm going to go with my personal rating first. 5.5. Zero. This is, to me, as close to a flawless album as it gets. There is really no low point Very for me. Very of you. <laughs> <laughs> there is no low point in this. There is nothing that I, when a song's coming up, there, I'm, I'm not, not looking forward to it. I, you know, I'll say there's what the weakest song on the album is, but that still is a fantastic song. And I, it's just, and I know that I come at this because when I heard it, I was, you know, Jungle Land was my favorite song by Bruce Springsteen. I, I, I was that kind of wide-eyed, optimistic, yeah, let's uh, take on the world kind of guy. And that's very much what this album is about. That's going to bring me into my critics rating. As a critic, I'm going to give it a 4.8 because he does capture so much of that earnestness about that, that feel of, you know, it's a, it's a, like an album of summertime and he's just captured so much. 
just you know maybe not so much in the lyrics but just the way that the the songs are produced and arranged the background vocals the the instrumentation it's just a it's almost a flawless album critically i give it a 4.8 as as a critic all right thank you jm we'll go to me next um i was a little distracted by doug pouring sparkling water over a fantastic whiskey but we won't talk about that (laughs) um uh so I'll give my critics rating first. Um, th- critically, there's not much bad to say about this album. The fact that it was recorded in one day live, the fact that it's got just a litany of amazing musicians on it, the fact that the songs are top-notch musically, uh, I, nothing nothing to knock it on that. Um, as a critic, I'd probably give it a 4-5. My own personal viewpoint, I'm, I'm going to be honest here, it didn't hit me like I thought it would based on my experience with other stuff that Doug has brought or you brought of the same ilk. There were songs on this album that knocked my socks off. There were other songs that just didn't hit me where I thought they would. I, out of every album we've done, I have a feeling that the more I listen to this, the more I'll like it. Because it happened... It happened already. Yeah, listening to it, I, I've got to stop going back to the live version with um, Southside Johnny because yeah. I keep wanting to do that because I just want the vocals to be slightly stronger than they are. So for my, I'm just going to be honest here. For my personal listening pleasure, I'm going to give it a three seven. Doug, this this album is in contention with the Wildness and the East Street Shuffle. For, uh, well, and um, Hearts of Stone. Hearts of Stone. <laughs> uh, this is in contention with those two albums as uh, albums I cannot be objective about. So, obviously, um, my personal review is five. And the reason it's a five is because we can't go higher than that. Uh, this, everything about this album is perfect. Uh, it's. Uh, it, it came in at the, exactly the right time in 1982 when I was a 17-year-old who... I was 12. <laughs> you know, that's not necessary, actually. Um, but I was a 17-year-old who absolutely bought into the whole uh, worship of rock and roll thing that's going on here. Um, as a critic, I'm going to go 4 5 because I do recognize there are some... Weak spots, not many, but uh, four or five seems appropriate for for a few of the weak spots that that manifest. I understand Tony's uh, frustration with the with the voice because it's true. Had this album come out exactly after um, Hearts, of Stone. Hearts of Stone, and if if uh, Little Stephen were able to give uh, Southside an injection of the earnest and earnestness necessary for this album. It would have, it would have been helpful, but I, I will never stop listening to this album. It is just, well, and, and I get that. And, and like I said, it likely will change. Like if you were to ask me a year from now, I'd change it. But again, the earnestness is something else that just kind of rubs me a little bit. Well, cause the music's so fun. I heard this when I was 17 and you're a little bit more than that. And it's harder 
Right. Well, I'm thinking when you were when you were describing that, I was thinking about when the age I was when I was really getting into Pink Floyd or the Smiths and how serious that stuff was and how I bought into it hook, line, and sinker. And how now at the age I am now, I I can understand it's a little silly. Well, I I can remember listening to the Wall um, when I was in high school, thinking. Oh yeah, I'm so deep, and yeah. so removed from everything because I'm personally numb or whatever, yeah. and comfortably now, numb. Comfortably, <laughs> but it was personal too. Um, now I can appreciate a lot about that record, but I can't put my place. No, it's. Yeah, I mean, it's right. it, the silliness of it, it. It's amazing to think that adults wrote that. Right. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It yeah. is. And uh, it's a great I, album. No knock on it, but no, no, it's. Right. You know, Little right. Steven wasn't a seventeen. No, it's it's a, well. Again, I think uh, I think it's just that whole juxtaposition between how. I mean, I'll say it again. The music is a blast. You yeah. can't listen to this and think, God, this is so much fun. But then you hear how serious he is about everything, and it just yeah. to me knocks it down just a notch. No, but, I I understand that. Perfectly. I understand that. and and I would probably be right there with you. If I had heard this for the first, first time, time yeah. in my 50s. Or I didn't feel that way about Hearts of Stone. Well, that... But there's there's something interesting that we didn't talk about. Uh, a lot of these songs were written at the same time as Hearts of Stone. so. But they weren't recorded for Hearts of Stone. So maybe somebody knew something. <laughs> no, yeah, well, maybe somebody was a little bit more discerning as yeah, a 30-something-year-old. I mean, a lot of these, there's some songs I'd pluck off of Hearts of Stone and put these on. But the thing is, when we talk about this is my uh, six-album plan. Yeah, but, yeah. Well, whoa, whoa, whoa. You had that plan back when... Oh, that's a good Stone point. Stone. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, that kind of puts that all in perspective, doesn't it? Yeah. I think, I think these are some of the gems that he thought were maybe better than he wanted for uh, Southside. I don't know what's going on. Um, Maybe huh. someday he'll uh, he'll join us and, and explain everything. <laughs> uh, boy, I would love that. I hope, I hope he doesn't take anything I said too personally because I, I, I respect what, the guy man, so much. If of all the, I said this at the beginning of all the people I'm we joking, talked by the way. about, I would love to have lunch. With See, I feel that yeah. I feel that way about Nick Lowe. Yeah, I do too. Nick Lowe's my I hero. If I would Nick Lowe also, and and after reading Elvis Costello's book, he's another one I'd put in there to have a beer right. with. Right, right. I all those guys, but. For me, it's little Steven because he has, he just clicks on so many levels. That wraps up our review of little Steven's Men Without Women. And we've come to the part of the show where we uh, try to make this a little bit more palatable to the younger members of our audience. And uh, so we asked our youngest member of the podcast tony schlegel what the kids are listening to right now well i going looking at this album or and and realizing doing a little history and hearing about the talking about the underground garage i realized i had to recommend an album by the woggles the woggles are a band out of athens they've been around for 30 plus years the lead singer is a disc jockey on the underground garage mighty manfred and he's fantastic yep I'm going to talk about or recommend their 2017 album called Tally Ho. It feels funny to recommend an album by a band that's been around that long, but I'm telling you, you could throw a dart at any of their discography and it'd be great. But since this is a recent one, I thought I'd talk about it. I couldn't really come up with a better description than what the man himself, Mighty Manfred, says about the band. 
He says, Alan Freed once said that rock and roll is a river of music that has absorbed many streams, and the Woggles drink from the many tributaries, from early rock and roll to R&B, 60s garage, British Invasion, 60s soul, and forward. Perfect example of what this album sounds like. This band is a blast. Tally Ho um, is as well, the album. Uh, the standouts, I mean, the whole thing's great, but I'll talk about it. The uh, amazing opener, Luminal Test. <laughs> Fantastic. Pitch a fit, which is will bludgeon you upside the head like a rock and roll two by four. And then a song called Hard Time Swagger is like a long lost Roy head tune. This album rocks. It's great. Hard times ain't gonna worry my mind. Um, highly, highly, highly recommended. All right, Tony. Well, thank you very much for that recommendation. Mm-hmm. And Doug, thank you very much for bringing this uh, album uh, to our listeners' attention. I'm sure that I would have recommended it at one point as well, because it is one of my all-time favorite albums. We're available on any of your favorite podcasting platforms. Tell your friends about us. You can also leave us a review there. We'd really appreciate uh, some reviews and letting us know how uh, what you think about the podcast. We're also available uh, through Twitter at Tapping Vinyl, and we have a Facebook group page. You can also email us at tappingvinyl at gmail.com. But probably your favorite way to interact with us would be through our fantastic webpage, tappingvinyl.com. It's constantly being updated with links to our latest episodes and all sorts of good stuff related to some of the stuff we talk about on these episodes. And you can get links to our recommendations as well on there. Next week, we're going to be looking at an album by one of the biggest bands in the 70s to come out of England. And they had some hits in the 80s as well. Queen and their album, Day at the Races. Anybody find me somebody to For our host, Doug Cooper, our co-host, Tony Slagle, and me, your humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe. This is Vinyl Tap for all the podcasts go to 11. And reminding you, don't try and stop me until the good is gone. But I just can't get a relief. Lord, somebody, somebody, somebody.